1: or just look us up on your podcast app. That's The Explorers Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to History of the Second World War, Episode 18, The Third Reich, Part 4, The Republic. This week, a big thank you goes out to Brian and Evan for becoming supporters of the podcast on Patreon, they now get access to special Patreon-only episodes, as well as ad-free versions of all of these episodes. If that is something that sounds interesting to you, head on over to historyofthesecondworldwar.com slash members to find out more information. I would also like to thank Andy for his generous donation. It is impossible to discuss the creation of the Third Reich without discussing the political and economic situation within the government that preceded it. During the 1920s and 1930s, Germany would be a republic, founded in the aftermath of the First World War, and led at the time by the Weimar coalition of centrist political parties who were able to found a new government with a new constitution. As was the case with many democratic governments created in the wake of the First World War, the Weimar government would face problems, which in many cases seemed almost impossible to solve. We will discuss some of those problems today. The first set of problems would be societal, with the new republic trying to find a way to sit on top of a society which had just experienced an incredibly stressful period during the war. This stress would be good for the Weimar coalition in the short term, ensuring wide-ranging support for any government that promised stability. But it would be problematic in the long term as there were many groups within Germany that did not support the move of the nation to a democratically elected government. The second set of problems would be the economy. The First World War had wrecked the German economy, and this economic devastation would extend into the early 1920s. There would be some success in addressing these problems, just in time for the Great Depression to hit, which undid all of that progress. The Weimar legacy is one of failure, but it's difficult to see how the German leaders could have addressed all of these issues within the nation without drastic changes to how the nation was structured in German society. Changes of that magnitude would have required a revolution of some kind, either from the right or from the left, which hardly would have been in keeping with the original purpose of the Weimar government, which was to provide stability. Before we start diving into the problems faced by the Weimar government, let's first discuss its creation and its structure. The Weimar Republic was structured with a Reich president who served for seven years as its head of state, and a national legislature, the Reichstag, which held most of the power. The Reichstag was elected by all adult men and women in a system which used proportional representation. This meant that each voter voted for a party, and then each party was given the number of seats which aligned with its percentage of the vote. This system was very common in nations within Europe during this period, and very closely resembled the system in France, for example, and other nations as well. It also had some of the same features, or or defects, you might call them, of those other nations. One of these was that the cabinets which led this government cycled very frequently. Between 1919, February of 1919, and January 1933, there would be 20 different cabinets, which lasted for an average of just 239 days. As with the French government, this did not really tell the entire story though, because while each cabinet was technically a distinct entity, there was often a strong continuity of service from those in the cabinet and then on to the next. One of the best examples of this was Gustave Stresemann, who would be the foreign minister for nine consecutive cabinets, which meant he stayed in the position for six years and probably would have continued in that position even longer if he would not have died while in office. I point this out because it's easy to say that the Weimar system was flawed, but for the most part, the government looked and and behaved a lot like other European governments at this time, and followed what many considered to be best practices for a democratically elected government. In some ways, it was even more democratic than the other nations, with full suffrage being given to men and women, which was somewhat exceptional within the European political landscape during this period. At the very center of the Weimar government was the Weimar coalition, and the largest member of that coalition was the Social Democratic Party. The party had played an important role in providing stability to Germany in the years after the war, an accomplishment they would use to, of course, amplify their position in later years. It is true that the huge support given to the party in 1919 was critical to the creation of the Republic and of putting in place the system of government that it would use for the next 14 years. However, there were problems that the party would experience almost immediately. A large part of the support for the Social Democrats came from middle-class voters, and one of the primary reasons that they supported the party was because it offered a moderate alternative to communism. For the most part, the Social Democrats were a very moderate party. They existed within a capitalist society which they did not attack directly, and even if some of their members were strong believers in socialism. This meant that they seemed to be a reasonable alternative for those middle class voters who greatly valued stability at a time when a communist or a Bolshevik revolution seemed likely, uh, really was a distinct possibility. However, after the foundation of the republic, the social democrats would see two parts of their previous support begin to dissipate. On one side would be those centrist voters from the middle class. As the threat of revolution from the left diminished in the early 1920s, they would turn their support to other parties more closely aligned with changes that they hoped to see in the nation. On the other side were those who became frustrated that the party was not pursuing more radical socialist policies, and these members would turn to other parties on the left. This meant that the high watermark for the Social Democratic Party would be 38% of the vote which it received in 1919, which would recede down to 25% for most of the 1920s. The other key piece of the Weimar coalition was the Center Party, or the Zemstrom. As their name suggested, the Center Party was firmly centrist in nature. They backed socially conservative policies and were strong supporters of the Catholic Church. However, they were pragmatic enough that they would work with just about every other centrist party, and this meant that they were a fixture of the Weimar government for almost its entire lifespan. Much like the Social Democrats, the Center Party would see their support decay over the course of the 1920s, as voters am- abandoned the more centrist policies of the Zemstrom, mostly for more radical parties on the right. The early Weimar governments would enjoy the support of a vast majority of the electorate, and during this period some of the features of the Weimar Society would emerge. For example, it became a haven for a wide variety of various subcultures that were often discriminated against in other nations at this time. This manifested in many ways. For example, at this time, cities like Berlin had thriving homosexual scenes at a time when many nations forced such activities underground. There was also a strong feminist movement, with more women entering the workplace and asserting their rights through their ability to vote. Both of these would cause a negative reaction from some groups within society, and as problems mounted for the Weimar government, many would blame their tolerant attitudes towards groups like the women or or homosexuals as the cause. There were also groups that blamed the erosion of the traditional role of women as the cause for the decline of the German family and of the declining German birth rate. This was a common point of discussion among nationalist parties in Germany at this time. They blamed feminist groups for poisoning the mind of many women and encouraging them to look for life outside of the traditional family roles. Oddly enough, these same feminist groups were having problems retaining their membership during the 1920s due to a disconnect between the policies of the feminist groups and the younger generations of women. The groups would push for conservative policies, like voicing concerns about the growing popularity of dance clubs in Germany, as an example, which pushed many younger women away. The changes to the role of women in society was one with a long history in Germany, and one that predated the First World War. In fact, the overall German birth rate had been in rapid decline since the turn of the century, but the Weimar government and its support for the republic and more liberal social policies were far easier for some groups within Germany to blame for the current problems. The fact that the government was easy to blame for problems is maybe the strongest theme throughout the 1920s in Germany, with every problem being blamed on the national government, every failure squarely on their shoulders, regardless of where the true fault lay. There were, however, some failures that were either caused by the government or which were sort of baked into how it was created. The failure of the Republic to get full support of the German states, the failure to bring the civil service, including the army, on side, and the failure to ensure the support of the judiciary. The first revolved around the unique makeup of the German state after unification. At this point in history, and really for the entire history of Germany before Hitler came to power... States like Bavaria and Saxony had strong independent histories, strong independent identities, and a lot of autonomy within the German system. Bavaria even had its own army during the First World War. This feeling of independence was not really curtailed after the end of the war and through the creation of the Republic, and this caused there to be a constant political clash between the governments within those states and the national government in Berlin. The second failure was to gain the full support of the pre-existing German civil service and the army. The Weimar Republic functioned almost like an outgrowth of the German government that existed during the war, just with a different structure on top. This meant that there was a pretty strong continuity of service within the civil service. The people who actually put government policies in place and which served as the administrative nerve center for the government were the same as had done for the last government. This allowed the Republic to smoothly transition out of the war, but it also meant that there were a lot of individuals who did not fully support the new government that they were supposed to be helping to run. Nowhere was this problem more apparent than in the army. The Reichswehr would be made up of officers and men who had served in the wartime army, of course, and even if the Reichswehr leaders would support the Weimar government, that support did not extend throughout the ranks. The Reichswehr would never revolt or or any, like, such drastic actions. It would, however, try to remain officially apolitical. This was, in in theory, good, but such an apolitical stance, while the official policy of the army did not extend throughout the entire service, and even if the service itself remained officially outside of politics, it would become very clear where the support of the men within the army lay. The third failure was the failure to properly address the judiciary throughout Germany. Much like the civil servants, most of the judges throughout Germany were in place from before the war. They were very conservative as a group, and their viewpoints would become very apparent during the 1920s. The German judges had spent literally decades overseeing cases of social democrats who were considered to be disloyal to the Kaiser. Now that the Kaiser was gone, the judiciary did not suddenly forget its pre-war allegiances or shift its pre-war views to the political left like the government had. They would officially support the Weimar government and the republic, but often their personal support for nationalistic and monarchist ideas was very clear. This resulted in very lenient sentences to those who clearly supported a return of Germany to its previous authoritarian principles, and very harsh sentences to any individuals who clearly supported ideas originating from the left, even if they were in line with official Weimar policies. This would be one of the reasons that men like Adolf Hitler, who clearly and openly tried to overthrow the government in Munich in 1923, would only spend a few months in prison for what amounted to high treason. Ebay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw The Potential? Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
0: Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.
1: For many of the problems faced by the Weimar government that we have discussed up to this point, there may have been solutions. Maybe not easy solutions or even ones that could have been implemented without other problems, but maybe solutions. But it's difficult to see a solution to Germany's most pervasive problem in the post-war years, the economy. Germany had dumped everything from its economy into winning the war, and it had lost. And with that lost came large reparation agreements which had to be paid to the winning nations. These reparations were very problematic from a political perspective to the Weimar government. They had been forced to accept them at Versailles, and they did not at the time see any viable alternative to that acceptance. However, they would be used as a constant political cudgel used by political parties on the left and the right to put into question the legitimacy of the government. This put the Weimar leaders in a position where they could not raise taxes in any form, even for budget items that had wide-ranging support within society. For example, there were hundreds of thousands of disabled soldiers who had been injured during the war. There were over 350,000 war widows and 900,000 fatherless children. The goal was to provide some kind of social welfare for these individuals, but any time the Weimar government tried to raise taxes to provide the funds to do so, they would instantly come under attack from political opponents that they were raising taxes not to help Germans, but to pay reparations. The difficulty of raising sufficient government funds was not even the most important problem during the early 1920s. That was instead inflation. Germany was far from the only nation to experience rapid inflation in the post-war years. and almost all nations, it would cause serious problems. And if you remember back a few episodes, it was the fear of inflation that would cause nations to rejoin the gold standard, which would prevent some nations from reacting to the Great Depression appropriately. In Germany, inflation would have catastrophic consequences on some groups within society. It would not be just normal inflation of a few percentage points, a year, a month, but instead, it would eventually turn into hyperinflation. In August 1922, the German mark would start off with an exchange rate of 1,000 marks per U.S. dollar, so that's 1,000 per dollar. By August 1923, it would be a million to one, And within Germany, the mark would experience a similar drastic reduction in real purchasing power. Eventually, prices in Germany would reach a billion times their pre-war levels. There is some evidence that the Weimar government itself caused some of this inflation, or at the very least did not do enough to prevent it. This was done as a way to reduce the burden of reparations, and also an attempt to hurt the French, who were in the middle of an occupation of the Rhineland. If this was the case, it was an incredible political miscalculation, and a real own goal. Inflation on the magnitude experienced by Germany would have drastic effects on society, which can be grouped broadly into two categories, economic and political. On the economic side, it wiped out the life savings of vast swaths of Germans. The lower and middle classes essentially lost everything and the wages that they were paid had no hope of keeping up with the constantly increasing inflation rates. At the height of inflation, almost everything earned by wage earners had to be spent immediately on food. If it was not, the money might be almost worthless a few days later. Not everyone within the middle class was affected equally, and this caused those who had previously been in the middle to fragment both in terms of their economic situation and their political views. Instead of being a largely homogeneous bloc in terms of political support, the former middle classes would play a key role in the fragmentation of the German political landscape. This leads into the fact that one of the most important consequences of the period of rapid inflation was the destruction in the faith of the people in the government and its continued functioning of society. The Weimar government, being put in place after the turbulent war years, needed stability and it needed to be able to prove that it would be able to provide Germany with what was essential for the future of the nation, which was partially stability and partially just a return to what people thought was normal. So much of the initial support for the Republic was rooted in the belief that it was able to keep Germany away from the revolutions that were spreading throughout Europe at this time. The government was initially successful at this task. However, the period of hyperinflation caused many to question whether or not the republic could continue to provide appropriate leadership. For many of those whose life savings had just been destroyed and could barely afford to feed their families, they began to question whether stability was even the best path forward, even if the Weimar government could provide it. And this questioning of the status quo meant that they began to search for alternatives in larger and larger numbers. This was not a critical problem in the relatively economically prosperous years of the late 1920s, but it would be an important mindset when that prosperity abruptly ended. As we discussed in earlier episodes, the market crash in New York in 1929, and then the Great Depression that followed, was an important turning point for Germany. The economic recovery of the 1920s had been largely financed by foreign loans and the participation of Germany in international trade. When both of these items were drastically reduced after 1929, serious problems for the German economy followed. The almost complete unavailability of foreign loans was a huge problem for Germany, and not just at the national level. Many state and local governments had also taken out foreign loans to finance economic recovery in their areas. When no new loans were available, and repayment started to be demanded, funds evaporated. On the business side, these economic problems caused layoffs and unemployment to once again begin to rise. Millions of workers would keep their jobs, but only at reduced pay, which they were forced to accept through the simple lack of alternatives. In 1930, unemployment would drastically increase, and for many, this brought back memories of the period of the early 1920s, where high unemployment and inflation caused so many issues for millions of Germans. This was compounded by the fact that due to revenue issues and austerity programs, unemployment benefits provided by the government were reduced several times over this period because they simply did not have the resources to provide more without either tax increases or deficit spending, both of which were resisted ideologically by some politicians and economists and politically by groups within society which represented business owners and those who were still employed. The lack of support from the government for unemployed individuals and others that needed help meant that faith in the Weimar system and the republic slipped still further. The erosion of belief in the system caused political groups which were already pushing for drastic change to see an increase in support. One of these would be the German Communist Party. Even before the Great Depression, the German communists had seen some support, and this support grew as their more radical socialist views, which put them at odds with the Social Democratic Party, found an audience. The German Communist Party would be led by Ernst Thalmann after 1925, who was a firm believer in the inevitability of, and importance of, the revolution. The party would form committees for unemployed workers and would organize marches and demonstrations, all of which put it at odds with the more moderate politicians on the left. However, at the time of the great economic distress, the communist message was powerful, and it found a lot of listeners. Many businesses were forced to reduce their number of employees, and many businesses would choose to retain older employees instead of younger ones, with these younger citizens being more likely to support the communist message. The lack of support for these newly unemployed individuals caused the revolutionary ideas of the communists to gain support, which was indicative in a lack of faith in the republic and the capitalist system that it supported. It was also a viewpoint rooted in the idea that if the government was not going to support people and their families, then perhaps it was time for a drastic change. The rising support for the communists and their very public demonstrations caused an increasing concern among others in Germany that there might be a revolution. The fear of a communist revolution, which might be supported by the Comintern and the Soviet Union, was a concern for many within Germany during this period. Essentially, everybody who stood to lose out in such a revolutionary scenario, which was at this point the vast majority of Germans, were concerned the revolution would occur. This fear was then used to radicalize many people, with an anti-communist message being a powerful part of many political party platforms. However, with the benefit of hindsight, we know that the real risk of a communist revolution was at least in the late 1920s and early 1930s incredibly small, The German Communists were chronically short of funds, with most of its members already being unemployed and unable to financially contribute, and they certainly were not getting support from larger businesses. The German Communist Party would also have a serious member retention problem, and a pattern developed whereby individuals would join the party when they became unemployed, but then when they were able to find another job, they would move away from that support. This made it challenging for the party to build up its support over time. On top of this, the constant ideological hostility between the Communist Party and the Social Democratic Party prevented any real unity of action between the two groups and caused opposite problems for both parties. For the Communist Party, it robbed them of sheer numbers, as the majority of the people who identified as socialists were moderate socialists, not revolutionary socialists, and therefore they would choose to support the more moderate social democrats. For the Social Democratic Party, the existence of the Communist Party prevented the Social Democratic Party from being able to build up a large number of fervent supporters, as the strongest supporters of socialism were often revolutionary socialists, and this prevented the Social Democrats from being able to match the vitality and street-level actions of the communists and also other political groups on the right. All of these issues within the Weimar Republic, some of which were self-inflicted, some of which were unavoidable, would have the result of robbing the nation of the ability to form a consensus. On both sides of the political spectrum, parties would radicalize and pull support from the center. As the center degraded, it would eventually lose the ability to form a majority in the Reichstag, and therefore a Reichstag-supported government. There was also no way to form a majority using only the Reichstag members on either the right or the left. This meant that when Hermann Mueller, the last Social Democratic Chancellor, resigned in March 1930, he would take with him the last cabinet which would be based on a majority in the Reichstag until 1933. The results of the elections that would be triggered by Mueller's resignation would make it clear that Germany in the 1930s would be very different than Germany in the 1920s. The Weimar coalition, which had brought the nation out of the war, was no longer strong enough to maintain any form of political stability. The slide into political chaos would be firmly in place, and it was unclear what the outcome would be. Join me next episode in which we will discuss the elections of 1930, which would completely reset the German political landscape.